0: Welcome to the Gifford Provider Podcast. This is the podcast of Gifford Healthcare located in central Vermont. I'm Scott Fleischman, the communication specialist for Gifford. Gifford is a nonprofit, critical access hospital, and federally qualified health center with a total of nine locations. The Medical Center in Randolph is home to a 24-hour emergency department, inpatient and rehabilitation units, a renowned birthing center, accredited cancer program, advanced diagnostic imaging, surgery, and much more. Go to giffordhealthcare.org to find all the services we provide. My guest for this episode is Gifford licensed drug and alcohol counselor, Jennifer Pelletier. Jen joined Gifford in 2016 and is part of our psychiatry and counseling team specializing in addiction medicine now before we get into our conversation if you're watching us on youtube don't forget to click the subscribe button like this video and tap the notification bell that way you'll always know when we have new content for you to watch on our youtube page we have other podcasts important information from our medical team we have videos showing why gifford is a great place to be not only as a patient But as an employee, we also feature our Morgan Orchards Senior Living Community, which contains a 49-unit independent living facility and award-winning nursing home. And you can now listen to the Gifford Provider podcast in your car or while just going for a walk or run. We're on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. So do a search for the Gifford Provider Podcast and follow us and share the podcast with your friends. We also encourage you to revisit our revamped website, giffordhealthcare.org. As I mentioned earlier, you can find a provider, check out the various specialties that Gifford offers, and you can look at all of the locations we have throughout Central Vermont and Career Opportunities. Okay, got that out of the way. Jen Pelletier, thanks again for uh, joining us this morning, uh, joining us here on the podcast. Um, First of all, you've been a gift for 2016, but let's go a little further back. um, Your background in addiction medicine, where did that come from and and why did you want to go into this field?
1: Um, It started, um, I did my internship at the um, Central Vermont Addiction Medicine Hub um, and SPOKE program, which is a methadone and suboxone clinic in Berlin. Um, And I really enjoyed that work. And I worked at Central Vermont Substance Abuse Services for a few years after that, Um, and then at Central Vermont Medical Center. um, I always kind of knew I wanted to get into the addiction medicine track from when I was in college. there was a specialty lane we could take and just get a little more education on that front. So um, yeah, I've been, my first day as a counselor, I started working with addiction and I've stuck with it ever since.
0: And of course you went to college right here in Vermont, right?
1: Yes, Johnson State.
0: So uh, yes, at the time, Johnson State. It's gone through a couple of name changes since then. Um, You know, uh, talk about that program that uh, Johnson provided you and, and allowed you to kind of flourish and and have that career and stay in the state.
1: Yeah, it was a great, um, for me, I went to college a little later, um, so I never even set foot on campus until uh, I got my bachelor's degree. Um, I did it all remote learning because I was working full-time um, for the state of Vermont at that time, um, and then continued on with my master's program, doing mostly nights and weekend classes, so it just worked out really well for me, and then being able to kind of do some extra focus on the addiction path so I could have a better understanding of what I was going into, you know, made a big difference for me.
0: So this was a second career for you?
1: Um, Yeah, most of my careers previously were in administration. Um, I had worked for seven years at the Vermont Arts Council. I worked in radio for a while. So this was a pretty big deviation from all of that, but I knew it was the right thing when I started doing it, so.
0: Oh, so it's. I didn't know you had a radio background. This is perfect for you, podcasting. You know, you know what you're you're, you're doing here. Um, what is it? The connection with people that kind of drove you this way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know. And again, with the addiction piece of it, um, I've had a lot of people in my life who are really close to me that have struggled with addiction. Um, my mother was a guidance counselor, so there's a little bit of kind of counseling history in the family, Um, you know. And so I think I worked in the medical field for a while, too, in administration. Um, And so just being able to have those connections with people on a daily basis, like that was definitely missing for me when I was working at the state because I was in an office and I was by myself all day. And so I really missed having that connection and wanted to hopefully be able to try to help some people um, who were struggling. So.
0: And uh, so again, Gifford, since 2016, how did you come to Gifford?
1: Um, I had been looking for different opportunities. Um, I saw a posting and decided to apply for it. Um, I had a couple of friends who had started working here um, a little bit before who had said it was a great place to work. Um, So yeah, so I applied and it was pretty exciting because our addiction medicine program was completely new when I came here. So it was kind of like getting to help create this completely new program for Gifford.
0: I guess you can put that in perspective, you know, small rural hospital like Gifford, you know, how rare is it to have an addiction medicine program such as this in such a small hospital? Is it common or is it, is it something that, um, because I I feel like with Gifford, a lot of the services we provide, you just don't see that in in those other small hospitals.
1: I mean, I don't even know of any other hospitals in Vermont that offer um, a specific addiction medicine program. Um, So I think it is really unique and it's a great opportunity for providers to be able to have that direct referral um, service. And, you know, I think it's also really wonderful for our patients because they don't have to seek services outside of their their home network
0: so what keeps you at gifford i'm obviously the you know (laughs) building the program um for sure and i mean like you said really can't find that anywhere else in a smaller hospital but what is it what else is it about gifford
1: gifford is like a small family kind of place i feel like you know ever since i started working here People knew my name, I knew other people's names. Um, You know, it's easy to walk around and just recognize everyone and that's really nice. Um, The patients are wonderful. Um, It's great for me because I live in central Vermont. So we have an office in Berlin as well as in Randolph. um, So that makes it convenient and it's nice to be able to kind of work in different areas and serve different populations. Um, So yeah, and it's just a place where, again, I feel really well supported and have really enjoyed everyone that I've gotten to work with here. And again,
0: you can check out all of our locations on our website, giffordhealthcare.org. So you came in, you helped start this team, and now you're working with this great psychiatry and counseling team together. What's it been like? What's the dynamic like with this team? Um, You know, talk. We've had Erica Schleif. uh, We've spoken with her before. Um, You know, just tell us what that's been like and how each of you kind of complement each other.
1: I mean, I think we're really fortunate here at Gifford because, um, you know, we have a psychiatry department that's actually taking new patients, which is pretty uncommon right now it's really difficult to get psychiatric care um, in vermont um, in addition to that we have dr laconis who handles the addiction side of things um, and then we all it's nice being part of a smaller team because we all are able to communicate with each other you know i wouldn't hesitate to call and talk to someone if we have a mutual patient or if there's a concern about someone and just needing to be able to bounce ideas off of someone else so again, it's a really nice part of being part of a smaller team where we all are trying to support each other and work together.
0: And how about specifically you do work with, like you mentioned, Dr. Laconis, uh, speak specifically of kind of your specialties, his specialties and how that kind of works together.
1: Yeah. So Dr. Laconis, um, has a background in psychiatry, but has decided to put his focus strictly on the addiction medicine piece of things. Um, so, what he does is he's able to prescribe medications like Suboxone um, for opioid use disorder, Naltrexone, Vivitrol, and then also medications that can help with alcohol use disorder. So, Antabuse or Campril. Um, and so he kind of handles that medication side of things. And then for people who need additional support outside of the medications, a lot of them get referred to me for counseling. Um, you know, the medication is an important piece of it. But there's usually underlying issues for people struggling with addiction. It's not just having a physical addiction to a substance. There's usually co-occurring mental health issues or depression, anxiety, trauma. Um, So then people can come in and see Dr. Laconis. And a lot of times we can accommodate it so they can come and see me right after. So they don't have to make multiple trips. Then, if we determine they need other assistance or other medications to help with depression or anxiety, a lot of times we'll refer to the psychiatry department and they can get support there too. So, again, it's really nice. It's a small team, but we can all kind of work together and, you know, help um, kind of balance out what everyone's strengths are. They welcomed me with open arms and were willing to give me a chance.
0: Caitlin Welch, manager of the Surgical Services Department at Gifford Healthcare in Central Vermont, tells us why she joined the Gifford family.
1: The hours that I work here allow me to have a life after work. I get to go exercise. I get to go to my kids' sporting event.
0: Gifford also offers competitive wages, employee discounts, on-site parking and childcare, along with health and retirement plans.
1: After I left the military, I missed that feeling of belonging to something and feeling a part of something special and that's exactly what I got when I came here.
0: Join Caitlin and work in Gifford's supportive environment where the patient comes first. Jobs are available in nursing, laboratory and culinary.
1: I have found my passion in operating room nursing and I try to instill that in anyone else who would want to come into this field.
0: Go to GiffordHealthcare.org slash careers and apply today. Gifford Healthcare, caring for you for life. You had mentioned that the psychiatry and counseling team, you're seeing they're seeing new patients. Um, how has the pandemic affected business over the last couple of years? I mean, are are we seeing more patients? I mean, you know, you've two years of in some cases, you know, people have just been so alone and isolated. And we've we've had you know the unknown. We've had people get really sick and in, in some cases pass away, family members, loved ones. So I, I'm sure you've probably seen that increase.
1: Yeah, um, there was actually a study in the Journal of American Medicine that just came out a couple of weeks ago that um, said that alcohol related deaths increased by 25 percent between uh, I think it was. 2019 and 2020, so right during the pandemic. Um, We've definitely seen also an increase in overdose deaths uh, since the start of the pandemic. Um, I believe Vermont uh, opioid overdoses specifically increased by about 38%. And so, you know, we've, we've seen more people seeking help because alcohol use has gone up, I think, with people being isolated and being home alone, um, having downtime, not having to go to work, being stressed with taking care of their kids, you know, but also that idea of I'm not going anywhere. I can't do anything. There's no danger, so I'm just going to stay home and drink. Um, but then people's use increased, um and to the point where then it kind of became problematic when everything started opening back up again. Um, and then with the substance use, people using in isolation there weren't people there to give them narcan that could have saved their life at the moment because they were alone and you know there was also been an increase in fentanyl that's been mixed in with heroin and other substances so that's contributed to the overdose rates as well
0: at what point did you think like this is going to be trouble i mean you know we obviously the the main concern was the virus and keeping people from catching it and we didn't have vaccines, um, no test, you know, testing wasn't really, it was in its infant stages. So, you know, the the key was just to keep people safe, keep people separated, keep people safe. Um, But at what point did you, you know, you as yourself, the team kind of think like, this is going to be a problem at some point that is going to, you know, that's going to reflect the numbers you just talked about.
1: I think Dr. Laconis, in particular, recognized that very early on, Um, and a lot of the, what we started noticing was that a lot of other outside places that offered counseling services were closing their doors, or they were only offering virtual um, counseling appointments via Zoom, Um, and we knew that that was not going to work for people, Um, so rather than shut down or reduce our hours like a lot of other places did, um, Dr. Laconis actually stayed open seven days a week at the start of the pandemic um, for several months. Um, you know, we were working on weekends and trying to be here to offer more hours because we wanted to ensure that people would have access to services.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the, the patients. Uh, obviously, can't, I'm not going to go to specifics, but, I, you know, when you talk about uh, drug and alcohol addiction. There seem there can be a certain stereotype of, of folks, but you know you um, you probably see a wide range of people, especially nowadays. You know, with the pandemic, you've had people that just kind of have fallen into this. Um, so talk about that the 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 range of, of folks that you do see, and it's not just you know what what people might think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we see people who are very young, you know, under. Twenty under the legal drinking age that are already struggling with um, their alcohol or substance use, all the way up to people in their seventies and beyond that are suddenly struggling, struggling, um, and everything in between. You know, so I think age, you know, it affects people of all ages. Um, You see everything from, you know, every range of career path, or you know, and so it's it really impacts everyone. Um, And I think people do kind of have that stereotypical idea of, you know, the bum under a bridge drinking out of a brown paper bag. And that's just not, not the reality of it. Um, But I think because of that, that's where the stigma comes into play, you know, a lot of times in terms of people seeking treatment or not wanting to seek treatment because there is that stigma associated that, you know, you're a bad person or that your life has, completely fallen apart or, you know, you've hit that rock bottom that's bad enough that you have to get help. And I, I feel like that's not necessarily the case for everyone.
0: You talked about um, young people. Are you surprised with the amount of, of young people that you see? And is that also, I, I would imagine with, with the pandemic, that's also increased.
1: Yeah, I don't personally, Work with people under the age of 18, so I don't have as many, um, but I do know that you know our counseling and behavioral health department sees younger people, um, and there is definitely a fair amount of substance use there. Um, It is surprising because I think for you know a lot of kids, it's that normal everybody's doing it type of mentality, Um, but. At the same time, I'm also impressed to see some of these younger people who are coming in and seeking treatment at a young age. So they're realizing that it's a problem, whereas, you know, a lot of people kind of figure, oh, it's my, you know, I'm in my 20s, it's okay. This is what everybody does.
0: Is a lot of what you see um, genetic? Is it, is it a family history? I, I guess genetic might be the wrong word, but a family history where you know parents were kind of falling into addiction and it's trickled down. Is it, do you see a lot of that?
1: Um, there's definitely a genetic component. Um, I think for, you know, there's also, I think a kind of a trauma component that lends itself. Um, when you have parents who struggle With addiction and substance use, you know, sometimes that involves parents who are then incarcerated, which means kids don't have their parents around, which is a certain kind of trauma. Um, You see kids who are exposed to domestic violence in those kinds of households sometimes, Um, poverty, you know, difficulty maintaining jobs. And so I think there's the genetic component, but then I think it's also the trauma that results for kids who have parents that struggle with substance use that I think also lends itself to future substance use in the next generation because they just don't know how to manage that trauma. And if they have parents who have been struggling with their substance use, they probably haven't learned any coping skills outside of substance use.
0: How often is it that the patient themselves contacts you or or, as opposed to a loved one or a family member reaching out? Do you see one more than the other? Are they the same?
1: We do, I mean, I would say more often than not, it's the patient. Um, we kind of require that, though, because, you know, I talk to a lot of parents who are really worried or, you know, husbands or wives or um, kids even who are worried about their loved ones. And I kind of have to try to explain to them, I understand that you're worried and scared, but unless they want to come to treatment, it's probably not going to be helpful. Um, you know, you telling them they have to come in or there will be a consequence that just doesn't typically work, especially not long-term for people. So we do require that the individual themselves reach out to actually schedule the appointment and come in because we want to see that there's some level of motivation on their side.
0: Now more than ever, you and your family's health takes top priority. That's why Gifford recruits, hires, and retains providers who put family medicine first. Providers like Dr. Jeffrey Allen. My goal as a clinician is to provide a space where they are respected and heard. To schedule an appointment, call 802-728-2445. 802-728-2445. GiffordHealthCare.org. Caring for you, for life. So a lot of times then I would imagine it's the family member or the, or the loved ones encouraging or the, the friends encouraging that person to reach out. And I can probably be a very delicate situation. I, I would imagine. So what, what tips, or maybe what, first let's, let's talk about signs. What signs should people be looking out for, um, for people who, you know, they think might have a, a problem.
1: Um, I think changes in behavior, um, you know, kind of suspicious types of behavior for people who are drinking, if they're drinking a lot more or trying to hide their alcohol use that can sometimes be a sign if they're drinking in situations that have higher risks. So they're drinking and driving a lot, um, you know, but the, the changes in patterns, um, people who are drinking just to avoid going into withdrawal or using substances to avoid withdrawal, you know, so it's that point where it's not really fun for them anymore. It's just a maintenance. Um, Those can all be signs, but there's a pretty wide range of things, you know, to look for and to, to see. So to me, it's kind of like, if you're concerned, it's always okay to call. And, you know, I'm always happy to talk to people if I have time and, you know, try to help them, you know, navigate that, you know, and how to have those conversations with people that they're worried about.
0: So if somebody does reach out to you and you have this conversation, it's kind of decided that, you know, yeah, I think there's something here. So then what is the next step? How do you go about such a situation like that? You know, we can talk about the don'ts, but let's talk about first of all, what, what can you do? Um, when you do realize that yeah this person this that we care about needs some help
1: yeah um i mean one thing i recommend to people too is that they get support for themselves first um because again you can't you can't make someone want to get into treatment and so if you're going to have to continue to deal with their behaviors or if there's issues in the relationship it's important that the individual gets help for themselves um you know i encourage people to kind of talk to their loved ones in a way that is, um, you know, gentle and from a place of concern as from, as opposed to a place from anger or demanding. Um, Sometimes just letting people know I talked to this person on the phone and they were, you know, they seemed pretty nice like it might be okay to just call and talk to them. Giving them our phone number, you know, giving them our website and saying just look at what they have to offer and you know check it out and see what you think, um, or you know also just telling people I really love you and I care about you and I will help you find help when you're ready to get it. Um, you know I think that's kind of the best that we can do as family members or loved ones who have people in our lives that are struggling.
0: And I know you're really passionate about letting those family members and uh, friends, loved ones know about the resources that are out there. I think oftentimes we put all of the focus and attention on the patient, which is warranted, but you can kind of maybe, you know, under the radar comes the family and the friends and how this affects them. So tell me a little bit about where that passion comes from for you and what are some of those resources that are out there?
1: um again that you know part of that is just my own personal history um in terms of dealing with family members and loved ones that were struggling with addiction um i think because of my work you know i've dealt with i've talked to family members a lot and heard their concerns and you know and i understand how that feels for them and so and i know it's a really hard place to be in because you really are pretty helpless in a lot of ways um So there are resources like Al-Anon. there's resources like the turning point centers which are all over Vermont and they offer support groups for families. Um, And I have to say, one of the good things that did come out of the pandemic is that a lot of those organizations are offering more zoom meetings um, and online meetings so you don't necessarily have to be able to go somewhere to attend a meeting and. You can attend a meeting any time of day because you could attend a meeting that's happening in California, you know, late at night if you need to. So, um, there's definitely a lot of support that's available for families that need it.
0: Are you learning more as you progress in this in this career? I mean, are there days where you're you know you're just constantly you, you, more things or you talk the more people you talk to the more help you you you. Know, distribute. I mean, are you, you, is this kind of a growing and learning process for you as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the more people I talk to, the better I understand, you know, what they're going through. Um, I've learned a lot about, so, you know, people, my clients have taught me a lot of things. I was, when I, from when I first started, you know, I had the assumption that no one used drugs in jail and that's really not the case, um, You know, so I've definitely learned a lot and then the resources and. You know that's one of the great things about working in Vermont is you know I established a really great network in central Vermont working with teams up there and connections to all the Community supports and now we have that here in Randolph and so. You know, there are community supports around. And again, I'm grateful for those and then grateful for all of the supports and everything that we have right here at Gifford.
0: We talked about what to do. What, And I think you touched on a little bit about, you know, not being confrontational, but what are some other things to avoid? Um, you know, obviously the first and foremost is it's up to the person themselves to to want to get the help.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think ultimatums don't tend to work. Um, You know, we see shows like Intervention, and I think sometimes people wanna try to do something like that on their own, but things like that are actually, you know, people get trained especially to be interventionists and do those types of things with people because it has to be done in a really specific way. Um, But I think it's also important for family members to learn to set boundaries and, you know, to you know, sometimes we have to tell ourselves, I can't give this person money anymore, or I'm not going to drive them to go and get more alcohol when they run out, you know, because I'm sober and they're not. Um, So I think it's really about kind of your own personal comfort level, and then also the safety of your loved ones and the safety of the people who are around them.
0: You talked a little earlier about treatment, and I know you, you referred a lot of that to Dr. Laconis, Can uh, you go into a little bit more about treatment options and and what are some of the ways that you you help?
1: Yeah, so um, there are medications available um, for alcohol use disorder. Um, There's a couple of medications that can actually help reduce cravings for people who are trying not to drink or who are trying to drink less. Um, Those medications can also help people to sometimes naturally drink less because they reduce the pleasurable effects of the alcohol. Um, there's medications like Antabuse, which a lot of people have heard of, which is the one that makes people really sick when they drink. Um, then we also offer the medications for opioid use disorder, um, Suboxone, which can help reduce cravings, but also fills up those opioid receptors so people don't go into withdrawal. And then there's medications like Vivitrol and Naltrexone that can also help in terms of reducing cravings for opioids. So, and most of those medications are done in conjunction with counseling. Um, you know, sometimes there's people who don't. It's not always, a, you know, a requirement of the program, but more often than not, the counseling goes with it as well.
0: Find out with with pretty much you know any issue, right? An eating disorder. There's always an underlying issue that's underneath. For you, when you are with a. And you hit that underlying issue and there's that moment of clarity. Maybe that doesn't happen right away. Maybe it happens over time, but um, tell me about that experience and how, when you're able to get to somebody and you get to the root of the problem and, you know, there's that moment.
1: I mean, I think for me, it's a lot of, it's validation for people, Um, you know, and sometimes just being able to normalize what they've experienced and that their substance use is an expected outcome based on the experiences that they've had in their life. I think that provides a lot of relief for people because they suddenly don't feel like there's something wrong with them or that they've done something wrong. It's, this is a, you know, an expected outcome based on the experiences that you've been through and that it's a matter of learning new ways of coping and dealing with feelings. And um, so I think it's, you know, it's validation and then also giving people hope that there are different ways of managing difficult things.
0: Do you have a particular, without getting obviously into specifics, is there something a particular story that either affected you or something where, you know, um, there was that that moment and it kind of changed things for that person, but for your your yourself as well. I mean obviously, you know, talk specifics, but you know, is there some sort of story you can share with something like that?
1: That's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) I've had, ai feel like I've had a good amount of those experiences. Um, You know, it's funny because I think the experience that I remember the most is from when I first started and like my first client kind of duped me and remember that feeling of, oh my gosh, I can't trust what anyone tells me anymore. And Like, I really don't want to be that person because that's not who I am. And my supervisor at the time said, it's okay to trust people. It's okay to believe their stories, but you also have to take it with a grain of salt, you know? So for me, it's been a a big learning curve in terms of helping people, but then also learning how to try to not take on everything for them or fix things for people, you know? So it's been a great experience helping people learn how to take care of themselves. And more often than not, the people that I'm working with figure everything out for themselves. I just sometimes point out what they've already said, or I can say it in a different way where they said, like yesterday, I had someone who said, I'd never thought of it that way. All of this makes sense now. And this was someone who's been in therapy for like 10 years, you know, and she was like, I never made sense to me before and now it does. But I, all I did was say back what she had said in a slightly different way. So, you know, I don't take credit for it. You know, pe- the people all do the work and they, they're doing a lot of hard work. And I feel really fortunate to be able to be part of that journey with them. And that must, and again, going back to what I had asked you before,
0: and that must be like the moment of like, you know what, that that, that moment is why I decided to take this career path.
1: Yeah, seeing that moment when people, that that light bulb goes off or where they have that understanding and that moment of clarity, like that, those are the moments as a counselor that I live for, you know, because they've done it and they've figured it out, but it makes such a difference, you know, and it's awesome to be able to be part of that. So April
0: is National Alcohol Awareness Month. And if there was somebody, so, you know, obviously, something we should be aware of all year round, but we're putting the focus on it in in the month of April. But if there's somebody out there who's watching this or listening to this and they might be struggling themselves and haven't yet seeked help, what advice would you give to that person?
1: I would say, um, give us a call. Um, People, I'm always tell people, Call and you can ask for me specifically, and I will be happy to make the time to talk to you. Um, I know it's scary and I know it's intimidating and, you know, we try to meet people where they're at. We don't have an agenda. You know, it's our goal is not to necessarily get everyone who comes in the door to stop drinking alcohol forever. Someone comes in and their goal is they want to cut back by 50%. That's what we're going to work on. Um, you know, so I think knowing that people are really in control of what they're going to do when they come here to work with us, um, is an important thing to know, knowing that, you know, neither Dr. Laconis nor I got into this business to judge people. Um, we, we really, that's just not what we do. Neither of us like doing that. We want to help people and we want to, you know, do whatever we can to help them find the supports that we, they need, um. The other thing is, is that we have great resources in the community. We have um, the Turning Point Centers and we have recovery coaches. So if people aren't comfortable coming into the medical center, you know, this kind of a medical setting and getting help, there's other resources out there, and we're happy to share those with people, too. So you know, more often than not, if they can just call us, we can help them get in some direction where they can at least start the process if they're ready to start.
0: Do you feel that there's enough? Resources out there, at least within the state, to to help folks, and um, you know, I, I guess we could always have more, right? But um, you know, are we adequate at this point?
1: We're doing better, um, I think, especially in terms of the opioid use disorders. You know, when I first started working, we had a wait list that was three years long, and now the state started a rapid access to medication program where people who want to get inducted onto Suboxone and meet the criteria can get on medication in less than 24 hours, um, no matter where they go. So, um, you know, the access has increased, unfortunately, because the need has increased, especially with the pandemic for mental health and substance use um, therapies, it is difficult to get people in, Um, you know, a lot of, especially for people who are looking for individual counseling. Um, That being said, I'm always taking new people. I haven't ever, closed my list off to anybody. So, um, you know, sometimes it's a couple of weeks, but, you know, we can get people in. And Dr. Laconis has great availability too in terms of getting people in. So we try to make sure that we can make it happen as quickly as possible. So I think we're doing pretty well, um, but like you said, there could always be more.
0: And I think, I, you know, what prompted that question, 2014, there was that article or the cover of the, and an article in the Rolling Stone with, um, the lumberjack on the cover, um, the new face of heroin. Yeah. And I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes at that moment. And, you know, working for this, st- you were working for the state at that time. So yeah. you were part, you know, you saw that reaction to that, what, you know, when that happened, where where are you know, what was the reaction? And, and do you think since that moment, it's something that we have really shifted our attention to and been aggressive in in challenge and meeting that challenge?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we always knew it was a problem. Um, You know, we knew that we were not serving people in the way that we could. But again, you know, for the programs that are, you know, the hub and spoke program that Vermont has in terms of opioid treatment is, we were going around to other states and showing them how they could start similar programs. So Vermont has been ahead of the curve in many ways. Um, But I think we did realize that like, we need to step up our game a lot more, you know? And even here at Gifford, you know, we changed our intake process to try to streamline it so that when people call, you know, they don't have to do a full phone intake. They don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. They don't have to get us records. It's call us, we'll get you scheduled and then we'll take it from there. Um, And then again, with the rapid access to medication program, which I think started two to four years ago, maybe, that's made a huge difference. Um, And that, you know, we were part of the pilot program that was working out of um, Central Vermont Medical Center. And I think Burlington was also doing it at that time. And then Gifford joined in shortly after. So we got to be part of that whole pilot program as that started, so.
0: About the 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 administrators here at Gifford wanting to have this resource, wanting this available to people. I know you, we talked about it way back in the beginning of the, this interview, but uh, they they started this program. Uh, tell tell me how important it was for the administration, the folks here, to to have this program grow and develop and, and be what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the administration here has always, you know. Again, we're a small hospital and we're in a small community. And so I think it feels like family and we know the people that we're working with. And so, you know, I think Gifford kind of takes that approach of, you know, our community is our family and seeing this need um, for more treatment options for people in terms of addiction. They did what they needed to do to kind of get this program up and running and make it happen. And so I think we're super fortunate that we have an administration that recognized that. And then, created a program to
0: deal with it. Having a baby can be the most exciting time of your life and the most stressful. Our Gifford team of skilled midwives is equipped to lead, guide, and educate you through this amazing journey. Gifford midwife, Ellen Apple.
1: I just love that you get to see people through all stages of their life and you get
0: to be a safe place for them. To schedule an appointment, call 802-728-2401. 802-728-2401. GiffordHealthcare.org, caring for you for life. You can read more about uh, Jen Pelletier's background, her bio. Uh, you can read about Dr. Laconis and the rest of our uh, psychiatry and counseling team by going on our website, giffordhealthcare.org. Go under services, look for psychiatry and counseling, and um, you'll have uh, everything there you'll you need to know. And um, where can people, you know, we talked about calling you, uh, what's the best way people can get in touch?
1: Yeah, the best way to reach us is our main phone number, which is 802-728-7744. Um, leave us a message if someone doesn't answer, but usually somebody answers. Um, if people want to call me directly, it's 802-728-7713. I will do my best to call people back as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, we're happy to help and, you know, We definitely want to support people. Um, we also just uh, on a... Quick note too: We're a Narcan distribution site here, so if people are seeking to get free Narcan, if they're concerned about themselves or loved ones, um, we can also offer that here. No names necessary. So,
0: how important was having ha, is Narcan? Having Narcan here, I mean, to, to be able to provide that, because obviously that's a, that goes a long way too in, in treatment.
1: Yeah, no, it's been great, and you know, we have, were able to offer it to people who are still actively using I recommend that they take it home and have it with them. But we're also able to give it to family members and concerned loved ones, you know, who just want to have it on hand just in case. So it's been great to be able to offer that to our clients, but just the community as a whole.
0: Well, Jen Pelletier, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you know, um, I, I learned a lot myself, um, you know, and the, the more we, Discuss these topics. The more we discuss the services that uh, Gifford provides and the folks that are offering those services, I mean, the the everybody's just so willing to go out of their way to help the community and re- regardless of what the problem is. So I uh, appreciate uh, what you, Dr. Laconis, and the rest of the uh, psychiatry and counseling team do. Um, any parting words words for folks out there? I know we talked about. Um, you know, some advice if somebody is listening, but, uh, you know, as we are into Alcohol Awareness Month?
1: I think it just, you know, it's okay to reach out and ask for help. Um, Whether you think you have a problem or not, or if you're just questioning where you're at with your alcohol or substance use and you just want more information, um, don't hesitate to reach out for help because really, you know, we don't judge and we're happy to help. And that's what we're here to do. So if there's any question, don't hesitate.
0: All right. Again, Jennifer Pelletier, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast, the Gifford Provider Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks.